You're listening to the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Lummer. I'm a certified life, health, and nutrition coach, and I'm also a breast cancer thriver. If you're trying to figure out how to move past the trauma and the emotional toll of breast cancer, you've come to the right place. In this podcast, I will give you the tools and the insights to create a life that's even better than before breast cancer. Let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 259 of the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Lummer, and this is our Tuesday Terrain Talk. This, These are the episodes where we dig in to things from the simplest, smallest shifts you can make up to some really big lifestyle changes you can incorporate to support the health of your terrain, to support the terrain, meaning the soil of your body, the tissues of your body. What can you do to help your body be as healthy as possible? And how can you incorporate these small changes or big changes into your life in ways that fit your lifestyle and that you enjoy? Now, I think one of the most important parts of doing that is to really connect to ourselves. These episodes are not about what's out there, like how do I look for more and do more and have people tell me what to do, but it's really about understanding what's available to you and then connecting back to yourself, to listening to your body, to connecting to your food, to connecting to nature and your circadian rhythms, and really getting in touch with you and your own special body and its own unique needs, but knowing what's available to support your body and those needs. We are going to hear today about something called regenerative farming. Now, some of you may have heard of that before, and some of you may know what it is. Some of you may think, oh, I've heard that, but I have no idea what it is. And some of you may never heard of regenerative farming because typically we hear about big corporate farms or we hear about organic farms. So we're going to talk about what regenerative farming is, and we're going to talk about it with an expert and a vivacious, energetic, knowledgeable person that I'm so excited to share with you. Her name is Dr. Amy Sapola. And I was first introduced to Amy because we are both studying with Nasha Winters in the metabolic approach to cancer. We are both studying to become terrain advocates under this philosophy and work with people in the metabolic approach to cancer. So Amy gave a presentation to a group of us on Farmer Jones Farm, where she is the director of pharmacy with an F. And it was so magical. Really, I was just so drawn in to what she had to share about this amazing resource where plants are just not only grown and cultivated, but nurtured and studied and so much energy and love and care goes into these plants to get the soil as healthy as it can be, to get the plants as healthy as they can be, and ultimately to give us transfer that health to our bodies, we consume it, but make them as delicious as possible. And that's one of the reasons why the Farmer Jones Farms and the Chef Garden supply so many top restaurants around the country, around the world, and amazing chefs because their food is just top notch. And I hope that you will find that out for yourself as I have, as I order produce from the chef's garden. And especially in the month of July, the chef's garden has collaborated with Nisha Winters and the Metabolic Institute of Health. And they have collaborated to create a box specific to the needs of our body during the season of summer. And I'm going to put links to all that in the show notes for this episode, you're going to find so much information, YouTube videos from the chef's garden to help you understand more about how it originated because it's a beautiful story. You can learn more about Amy and look at her website, her podcast, so much great information that this could be a two hour long podcast episode, but I'm going to leave those links for you to explore and learn even more about regenerative farming and supporting your health through this plant forward, beautiful way of connecting back to the earth and back to your body and your ultimate health. So let me tell you a little bit about Amy. Her title at 
Farmer Jones Farms is the director of pharmacy with an F, and she has put together a wonderful video to explain to you in detail what that means. So the link to that also in the show notes or where you're listening to this podcast, just scroll down, you'll see the link right there. Dr. Amy Sapola is passionate about public health issues related to the social determinants of health, soil health, and planetary health. Dr. Sapola is a clinical pharmacist. She is certified with the Institute for Functional Medicine. She's a certified practitioner, and she's a certified wellness coach with a Bachelor's of Science in Nutrition. She's also completed a two-year fellowship with honors in integrative medicine from the Academy of Integrated Health and Medicine. She is a mother of two young children, an avid gardener, a passionate cook, a longtime yogi, and Amy has an integrated approach to health and wellness, both personally and professionally. And I know that's going to come through in our conversation, but please explore her website and the links to all of the videos because she creates these amazing recipes. And she shares these recipes on the YouTube channel and on the Farmer Jones Farm website. Again, you'll have links to all of that in the show notes. So Dr. Sapola is the director of pharmacy with an F at the Chef's Garden in Huron, Ohio. And pharmacy at the Chef's Garden is about bridging the gap between farming and healthcare. Amy's goal is for the farmer to become part of the health and wellness team. How cool would that be? And in her work at the Chef's Garden, she helps guide consumers towards a more mindful relationship with food by connecting the benefits of healthy soil to healthy plants and ultimately to healthy people. So I am so excited to get to share her insights and her knowledge with you here on our Tuesday Terrain Talk episode. And so without further delay, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Amy Sapola. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be with you. Good. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So we'll just jump right into this with like the big burning question what is regenerative farming? What's that all about? I mean, what can you share with us? Yes. So regenerative farming has been around for as long as farming has been around, right? So it's really getting back to those techniques where we're giving back to the land instead of simply taking, constantly taking, right? And so regenerative farming is about building up soil health, rebuilding the soil. Right now we're losing in conventional agriculture the soil faster than we're rebuilding it. And so that's just simply not sustainable. Um, And so really with regenerative agriculture, we're using techniques like cover cropping, crop rotation, um, minimizing tillage, minimizing any sort of synthetic inputs or chemical fertilizers, um, really thinking about how do we farm in harmony with the land, allowing the soil to regenerate. So like with cover crops, for example, at our farm, um, the Chef's Garden, we use a multi-species cover crop, which means each plant in that mix is putting something unique back into the soil. And so by using that cover crop, we're not only putting nutrients back into the soil, but we're building the biodiversity in our soil, which is really that soil life. So those microbes in the soil, just like we have a microbiome in our gut and on our skin and really all over our bodies, the soil is alive, or at least should be. And so for plants to be optimally healthy and vital and have all the nutrients that we need to thrive, the plants have to have that biodiversity alive in the soil because those microbes are what actually allow the plants to take up nutrients in the form of minerals. So long answer, but... (laughs) No, but it's so fascinating. And so when you say cover crops, can you tell me what a cover crop means for those of us who have never planted a carrot? Yes. Yeah. So a cover crop is something that you're not necessarily going to like harvest like a carrot, right? So a cover crop is essentially a way to keep roots in the ground. Um, And it's something like, say, um, cow peas or rye um, or vetch or clover or buckwheat, like some of these crops that we know help kind of... um, restore certain minerals to the soil or bring like certain kind of qualities that we're looking for um, back into the soil. Mustard sometimes is used. Um, There's a number of different cover crops, but one of the biggest things about cover crops is you're not leaving bare soil. So bare soil, there's erosion, right? If you Mm -hmm. have any sort of rain events, there's a lot of runoff. 
Um, and then of course, if you have those roots in the ground, that water absorbs better and whatever's growing there, hopefully crops or the cover crop is going to be more drought tolerant. So by having kind of um, healthy soil with roots in the ground, cover crops, um, letting land be fallow. So letting it, you know, have those cover crops and not constantly be in this rotation of farming. Um, and again, like looking at yields and really like that intensive farming where you're looking at high utilization of chemicals, high utilization of um, tillage, really mm -hmm. getting back into where um, you're letting the land rest a little. Okay. So would a cover crop be something, so let's say that you're growing summer squash and you harvest the summer squash and then the cover crop gets planted to just kind of regenerate the nutrients there? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. exactly it. So sometimes it's in the fall. So after you've planted, you could plant a cover crop kind of for the fall and then around us in Ohio, it freezes. So some of those plants are going to die naturally because yeah. of the frost. Um, but they, still have their roots in the soil, right? And so there's something called even like a tillage radish, which is a big radish that helps break up soil compaction. And when it dies in the winter, it then rots in the soil, right? And then there's space in the soil for water and air to kind of occupy. And so um, basically they're helpful for kind of breaking up that compaction. So yes, the cover crop can be planted in the fall or some people will plant it in the spring um, and kind of leave it for the growing season, but most of the time in the fall. Yeah, that is so cool. I love that. And so is, does that something that affects the flavor of the crops that you're growing for harvest? Because I order boxes of produce from you and I'll tell you when the little baby summer squash came, like my husband could not stop eating them. They were so delicious as was everything, you know, that we get from the farm. But does that help with the flavor? Or I know you do a lot of research and development at the farm. So how do you get, you know, it's kind of like when people go to Europe, they come back and they say to me, oh my God, Laura, their food is fresh. It tastes so different than here. And that's kind of how I felt when I got the produce box from the chef's garden. So yeah. what makes that happen? Yeah, so a couple of things. First, we're two miles off of Lake Erie. So we have really mineral rich soil already. So those mm -hmm. minerals have so much flavor, right? Plus the phytonutrients of the plants. So if you look at our plants or our vegetables, we grow a lot of smaller size vegetables, which are more concentrated in flavor. So they have kind of less of the starches, but more of the flavor. Um, like you mentioned, the small zucchinis. Um, and those are amazing. I actually had them just for lunch today. Um, They're so good. Yeah. Yes. And that's, you know, the small size, mineral rich soil, healthy, active soil. So the biology of the soil, like I mentioned, helps bring up minerals into the plants that the plants need to thrive. And so when the plants are healthy and able to form those phytochemicals or phytonutrients, that's the flavor compounds, the color compounds, and the scent compounds that we notice with that sensory experience. So really all three of those things are so important to having the plants taste kind of like they used to taste. I have fond memories of like my grandma's house, right? And her gardens. And I feel like that's sort of what we're getting at is how do we have this really thriving, healthy ecosystem where plants are able to be kind of their best selves and be as nutrient dense and healthy as possible. And you can taste that difference in the health of the plant when you consume it. Yeah. And so I love that you just brought up, you said as healthy as possible. So when you keep the soil healthy through farming in the way that you do, how is that more beneficial than say we go and buy something that's a right off the shelf at the grocery store, GMO, um, whatever it is, carrot, let's since I'm on the subject of carrots, a GMO carrot, and they're just like kind of flat, right? But how is the type of farming you do and growing, having healthy soil, because it starts with the soil and that microbiome, right? And then the healthy plant, how does that impact our health? Yeah, so I won't even go down the GMO rabbit hole, but I'll just okay. say in general- <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> that's another podcast, but I would highly advise avoiding GMOs. And we have a totally non-GMO farm. We don't plant any GMO seed anywhere on the farm. 
um, we completely avoid it. As far as a healthier plant, one of the things that differentiates our vegetables from what you'll find in the grocery store is how they're harvested and shipped. So in the grocery store, often vegetables aren't, peak, aren't picked at peak ripeness due to being transported long distances. So sometimes they're ripe and then um, closer to reaching grocery store shelves with ethylene gas to help them ripen up before they get put on the shelf. Okay. But they have a long transportation time. Um, they may also sit on the grocery store shelf for a little bit before you buy them. And then they may sit in your refrigerator for a little bit before you eat them. And yeah. all of that time, you're losing some nutrients. And mm -hmm. so ideally, you want to pick vegetables at their peak ripeness and consume them soon after, right? Mm -hmm. And so we harvest only to order. So when you place an order, we then harvest. We don't harvest ahead of time and like let it sit there for weeks on end. Um, so we harvest and then we actually ship overnight to your doorstep. So there's no long transportation chain or, you know, sitting on trucks. It's really harvested fresh and sent to your door. Um, and taking out that kind of transportation time and picking at peak brightness, you'll notice better flavor, but also better nutrient density. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is so cool. And I tell you, I love that. Like when mine comes right to the door and I'm just like, oh, it's so inspiring to have an open this fresh box of produce and it smells beautiful and it looks beautiful and it, and yours comes with gorgeous recipe cards. And so you, at the last box I got had this bok choy salad that was amazing. And yeah. so it's so fun because I think a lot of people don't know how to cook vegetables, right? And they want to incorporate more vegetables, which they should into their diet, but they're like, what do I do with this? You know, yeah. how do I cook it? And do you just steam it until it's a soggy mess? Or, you know, so I really appreciate that it comes with inspiration, you know, as well as just the inspiration of getting that box itself. Yeah. Yes. And I would tell your listeners, check out our website, Farmer Jones Farm. Um, we have a lot of free recipes on there. So under recipes on Farmer Jones Farm, you can find tons of vegetable forward recipes yeah. for all seasons, all different taste preferences. And dietary needs. We have a lot on there. We also have a build your own box by health condition um, set. I think we're to 16 different health conditions on that there. So, cool. um, so how do you do decide? Like if let's say what type of, give me an example of a health condition I could pick for. So cancer prevention um, okay. is one of them. And then we look at I look at the current literature on um, cancer prevention and what vegetables have some research to support their utilization. Um, in a lot of cases, vegetables we know are helpful for many health conditions, so it's not super hard to find good evidence. Um, but we try to see what, what has the best evidence, and then that's what we put on those pages. Um, so there's brain health, hormone health, um, there's pregnancy, there's lactation, like postpartum. Um, what a great, there. you said pregnancy, what a great gift to give to someone who's pregnant, right? Say, yes. oh, I can send you boxes of this produce. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I think it's a really nice gift for like anybody, like, especially we have blood sugar balance as one of them. Right. And so mm. instead of giving people boxes of chocolate, why not give vegetables? It's such a nice gift. It's so thoughtful. And again, it comes with recipes. So it's not as overwhelming as it could be, right? If you don't normally cook. Um, but there's a lot of really inspiring things by when you get a box of vegetables and you don't necessarily know what everything is. Sometimes it's really fun to take the time and look it up and sample new things and try and experiment. And that can add a lot of creativity and fun and play into the meal. And then it's fun to just share with other people as well. I totally agree. And it forces me to kind of go outside my comfort zone, right? In the last box, I got this big bag of braising mix. And I was like, what the heck do I do with this? And I went on your website where I saw your lovely face and all of the recipes and everything's going on. I was like, oh, okay, this is really cool. There's a lot of great stuff there. So what would you tell people who I often hear this. So I've had produce deliveries for years and people will always say to me, oh, I want to pick my own. Yes. They're very concerned that it's not, they're like, is it, you know, is it rotten? Is it speckled? Like, what would you say to people who are worried about the quality that they're going to get? Yes. First of all, that's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
she is that person. But, um, you know, I think one of the things we really pride ourselves on is quality. And we have amazing customer service. We have dedicated customer service people. And we're sending the best of the best. We've sold to the best restaurants around the world for the last 35 years. And just in the last, like, two and a half years since COVID, basically, we started selling the same vegetables that we're sending to the best restaurants around the world to home consumers. So the quality is super high, even though you can't pick your own, unless you live in Ohio, we do have a farm stand in Huron, Ohio, but, um, you know, I have a client in Ohio and she's just a couple miles from you. And she's like, you got to come out sometime and we're going to go pick there. We're going to go to the chef's garden. I was like, oh, it sounds like a great field trip. Yes, yes. But, you know, um, we really pride ourselves on sending the highest quality vegetables possible. Yeah. So what is the difference, Amy, between regenerative farming and organic farming? Yeah, that's such a good question. So regenerative farming, basically, like I described, is farming in harmony with nature. It's trying to reduce synthetic inputs. It doesn't mean that it's organic, though. There is a differentiator there. And so Um, Like Rodale Institute, for example, is a big proponent of regenerative organic agriculture. Organic agriculture, though, doesn't tell us what's going on with the soil. So it tells us what we're not using, right? You're not using synthetic inputs. You're not using GMO seeds. But it doesn't say what you are doing. (laughs) So oftentimes, farmers are doing some combination of both. It just depends on what certifications they have and sort of what practices they're following. Um, but it's important to ask those questions and get to know your farmer. So again, organic is really non-GMO seeds and using organic pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides. OMRI certified typically um, are the products that they're using, non-synthetic. Um, okay. And then in so regenerative- not no, not no chemicals, just organic approved yes. chemicals is an organic often a misunderstanding with organic because oftentimes people feel if it's organic nothing has been used on it and right. unfortunately that's not true and so there you can look online omri is the acronym it's o-m-r-i um they have a list of like approved uh products that can be used on organic um produce so okay. you know if you're interested in kind of researching that more deeply And then again, regenerative farming is about reducing any sort of synthetic inputs, Um, doesn't guarantee organic, but is looking at soil management practices. Sometimes I hear regenerative described as more of a philosophy because everyone manages their farm a little bit differently and uses kind of what makes sense for how they farm. Like for us, one of the tenements of um, regenerative agriculture is often having animals on the land. But for us, for food safety reasons, especially serving food in restaurants and things, we don't have animals on our land um, because we don't want to risk that contamination potential, right? And so, um, you know, not every kind of uh, possible option of regenerative farming has to be used to be called regenerative. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So let's touch on with the study we both do with Nisha Winters, one of the aspects, one of the categories in the Terrain 10 is toxic burden. And something we talk about a lot is glyphosate and how you know people's consumption of glyphosate. So for people who hear this and they think, whoa, hold on, I eat organic 100% everything. What would you say about the safety and the toxic burden when people think about the difference between organic and the farming, regenerative farming, as you described it? Yeah, I would say it's really important to know your farmer, know their farming practices and understand what they are and are not putting on their land Um, because it's really hard to tell. Also, like, who are they surrounded by, right? Because glyphosate or Roundup can be in the air, it can be in the water, like it's pretty ubiquitous in our environment anymore. And so really understanding um, kind of the whole, the whole picture can be really helpful, but it's not easy. Um, There are tests that can be done of produce to look at glyphosate levels. Um, We do periodic testing on the farm to make sure that we have a no detectable glyphosate um, because we don't use any anywhere on the farm. Um, so that's one thing. I think that's important. That's important to know. 
Yeah, yeah. super important. Yeah. And I know, so with all the research and development that you do, what is the focus? I mean, I don't think I ever hear about like, we don't go and, you know, as I live in California. So as you drive through the agricultural part of Bakersfield and Fresno and all that, and you just see, you know, miles and miles and miles of monocrops, we don't really think about what goes on behind it. Are they researching? Is this safe? Is this delicious? What's happening? So what do you do there on the farm? And how does that work in making your product quality? Yeah. So in my role as director of pharmacy with an F, um, one of the things I help lead is kind of where we're going with our research, right? And so right now we're looking at nutrient content of the vegetables and how our farming practices year over year influence that. So ideally each year, based on our regenerative farming principles, we should be improving in our nutrient density. And so that's what we're really looking to see. Um, so we're looking right now primarily at minerals mineral content. We're starting to look at some vitamins as well. Um, and we're moving into looking at phytonutrients. So right now we're most interested in sulforaphane, um, which is obviously probably interesting to your audience as well. And then nitrates. Um, Can we like, talk about why, why cancer survivors would be interested in sulforaphane? Yeah. So sulforaphane is um, created when you chew essentially cruciferous vegetables or you cut them or kind of break their cell walls. So some enzymes combine with other compounds in the vegetables and it forms sulforaphane. And sulforaphane helps with healthy hormone detox, essentially. Um, so it helps support your body's natural process um, to help balance hormones naturally um, and help with that detoxification um, of hormone uh, metabolites that could be more harmful if reabsorbed. So um, sulforaphane is really important for that. That's why we love our cruciferous vegetables. We even have, I formulated an antioxidant microgreen blend that we, uh, call our high sulforaphane blend because it's all of the cruciferous vegetables in like just tiny little microgreens that you can kind of sprinkle on everything. I love it. Yeah. And I think I, I redirected you there when I asked you to explain sulforaphane because you were talking about the research you're doing going into it. Is there something else you wanted to say about that? Yeah, no, I think that pretty much is it right now. That's where we're focused. We also do look at our soil health. So we look at kind of the microbial activity that's going on in the soil because we, again, want to see the soil just really alive and active and thriving. One of the things I was really impressed with when I came in towards the farm initially is even just like the um, thought that goes into everything that they do, like they have like yellow kind of sticky tape around a lot of the crops and it's just monitoring what sort of bugs are there because they'll stick to it. So what sort of pest pressure might be going on? And even just talking with the growers, like a lot of what we grow, like especially the microgreens and some of our really small like specialty crops that we uh, send out are grown in greenhouses. And those growers like know those plants so well that if anything starts to look awry with them, they know it like very quickly and they identify issues so quickly. And, you know, it's really like a case by case um, scenario. And then also even just things like growing tomatoes. We don't plant all our tomatoes in one spot. They plant tomatoes in small sections like around the farm because if one, you know, crop gets a disease or has something wrong, it doesn't influence all the other ones planted in the other areas. And so, um, I just, I'm continually impressed with the thought that goes into like planning, um, and trying to prevent disease and, you know, pest pressure more naturally. Yeah. Pest pressure. Like I would have never thought about that. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah everything yeah. that goes into it. So I get, sometimes people ask this question, especially when I talk with them about increasing their vegetable intake. And we know how in the world of social media, people like to take specific elements and then demonize them as much as possible, right? Rather than talk about overall benefits of things. So can you speak a little bit to oxalates? Because I do hear from people often, oh, you know, if I eat more of that, then I have to worry about things like oxalates and kidney stones and that type of problem. Yeah. What, what would you say about that? Yeah, so it, I I typically say it depends, right? If you are prone to kidney stones and you've been advised to avoid oxalates, by all means, that probably makes sense. But also looking at the underlying cause, like why do you have high 
oscillate levels? Why aren't you clearing it? Are there other things you could be doing in the diet or in your lifestyle that may be helpful as well, right? Because vegetables that contain oxalates also contain a lot of vitamins, minerals, fiber, phytonutrients. Like there's a lot of benefits there. So to just like blanket avoid them, especially if you don't have trouble with kidney stones, doesn't make a ton of sense. If you do, then it's looking at the other lifestyle things so that maybe you can have some, or maybe you can prepare them in a certain way that minimizes the oxalates so that you can better tolerate them. I love that. Yeah. I think just, I think that we just, again, get conditioned to look at tunnel visioned, right? To look at one thing and one problem it might cause rather than taking in everything. Now, do you grow fruit at all on the farm? Yeah. Is it all... So we have tomatoes <laughs> and then we, that's true. Yeah. It's, I yeah. think of it as vegetable, but it is a fruit, right? Yeah. yeah. But we do grow strawberries and right now it's strawberry season and they are beautiful and abundant. And I just want to eat everything with strawberries. Um, but those, that's really our main um, fruit. And mm -hmm. then we do have huckleberries, which are kind of more like a tomato as well. And those are really fun and special that come on a little later. Um, we have like little melons as well. And then we'll have, we call them cucamelons. They're little tiny cucumbers basically. Um, so we have some fruits, but it's primarily vegetables. And can you say, cause I remember I heard you, you know, speaking, which is why I invited you here. And when you said the amount of vegetables, the amount of crops that you grow on that farm, I was like, blown away. Yeah. There's How no many different culture. crops? Yeah. So we grow 600 to 800 different varieties of edible vegetables, uh, mm. flowers, microgreens, and herbs. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Because I think when people start thinking about vegetables, like broccoli, cauliflower, spinach, kale, of course, kale, right. And go right to that. And when I heard you say that variety, I thought, that's so fantastic. And can you speak a little bit to why? Like, what's the importance of having this variety of herbs and vegetables and all of these different plants in our diet? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that question. So really diversity is key. Just like diversity in our microbiome is so important. Diversity in our diet is tremendously important. So again, eating the rainbow, getting as many different colors of phytonutrients as you can is so important and also eating seasonally. So thinking about kind of the wisdom of nature and how, for example, in the spring, spring greens are really abundant. That helps us kind of um, with our digestive system, with our liver, right? In the summer, cooling foods, more like tomatoes and cucumbers and foods that are like, um, higher in moisture. In the fall, we think of root vegetables and like squashes, which are high in beta carotene, which becomes vitamin A and helps support the immune system. So that diversity and seasonal eating is so important to helping support health all year around. Yes. I love it. I love that you touched on seasonal eating because right, our body and our own circadian rhythms are in sync with the earth, whether we remember that or realize it or not, it just is. And so I love how you describe that eating with the seasons. And also, I think because of our climate controlled environments that we live in, we just eat as if it was winter, like all year round, right? These big, heavy meals and heavy foods. Whereas if we stop and think if we didn't have air conditioning and it's 85, 90 degrees out, you're not going to be sitting down to a big old steak and a baked potato. You're going to want a strawberry, right? You're like, I'll just take the strawberry smoothie. That's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, I think there's a lot of wisdom to Ayurveda and kind of that seasonal eating and eating kind of in tune with nature. Um, and it helps you just get it in more diversity too, because it's very easy to get into the rut of like, this is what I have every day for lunch. And this is what I have every day for dinner type of thing. Or I meal prep which is great and very convenient. But if you're always meal prepping the same thing week after week, you're not getting in that diversity. That's really, really important. Yeah, so important. And I think too, because of our own microbiome, our own gut health, and you know, more and more as we discover, we as science and clinical studies see the amazing benefits of having a diverse microbiome in our gut. 
we have to think about that, right? As we're rotating the foods that we eat. So we're feeding different bacteria in our gut. It's like we have all these little pets in there. Yes. And recently I thought statistic that our own microbiome diversity is about 10% that of the soil. And that's mostly because of our urban, more urban living environments than more like sanitation. And so really, honestly, getting out in nature, getting your hands in the soil, eating vegetables grown in healthy soil helps support your own microbial diversity. Yeah, that's what, so you got to have people come and help garden out there and pull weeds and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> yes, get your hands dirty. <laughs> I, yeah. was, I never wear gardening gloves. And I recently, I don't like to paint my nails either, but I painted my nails because they were so bad. <laughs> Because I really, I like to have my hands in the soil and actually touch the soil. Yeah. And honestly, I think there's something so beautiful about that because where I live now is a condo. So I have potted plants, but it's weird. Like sometimes I just, I just want to like repot the plant or plant something new. Right. And I agree with you. Like I want to have my hands in the soil, even though I do paint my nails, I'll go get them repainted, but I want to feel that. And the same with cooking. There's something I love so much about getting a big, beautiful box of fresh produce. And I even just love washing them and prepping them and just the smell of them and the colors of them and cooking them, right? It's really part of that whole Ayurvedic way of eating is when you pick up this vegetable to consider like, how did this come to be here in your hand? And how's it going to become a part of your body? And who's touched it? And where did it come from? Like, it's so beautiful to think about it coming from a place like a garden where it's been cared for, like your farm, from the very planting of the seed, even before the seed, right? When you're thinking about the soil that that seed is going to go in. Yes, I just wrote a blog for the Center for Mindful Eating. And the quote we started out with is something like, you know, when does the apple stop being an apple and start becoming part of me, like when you consume it? And it's just really cool to think about that really, you know, that energy and those nutrients, it's really more than just the nutrients themselves, but that energy that you're taking in and it's becoming part of your body. Like literally our bodies are made of the food that we consume. So yes, yes. I love that. I love that so much. And I'll never forget. I'll show this experience when my daughter was a young teenager and she was having a lot of trouble with acne. And I took her, she was at the doctor for something. I don't even remember what it was. And she said something about her skin. And uh, the doctor's like, well, if you want, you know, I can write you a prescription for it. And I said, well, why don't we first start with when she goes out with her friends, don't eat the pizza or drink the soda because it's not something that she has when she's at home. And I'll never forget. And he turns to me and goes, oh, that's ridiculous. It makes no difference what somebody eats. That's not going to affect their skin. And I thought, we need to find a new doctor. This, How could you say that the food you put into your body isn't going to affect your body? This makes no sense. What is a cell built from, right? Where does it get nutrients from? That's like saying anything you put in the soil will have no effect on the plant. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. I just had that with my daughter. She had, uh, she was having really bad asthma and coughing for like hours on end. And we took her in and they put her on like five different medications. And I did like an elimination style plan with her to see if there, it could potentially be food. Right. And so we went through eliminating some of the top allergens really thoughtfully. And we identified like four triggering foods. We kept those out of her diet. I personally tapered her off of the medication and now she's symptom free. And I took her back in and he's like, we, she's so much better than we we would have expected, but you know, it's not the food. And I was like, are you kidding? It's not the food. Very unlikely that it would be a food allergy. And I was like, really? That's so weird because it seems to be working. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that's just our current system. Um, but you know, I think it's one of those things that you see for yourself, the power of food and the healing potential it can have. And also just how important all of the lifestyle factors are, because the care we receive in the doctor's office is a very, very small part of what goes on in our lives. And it's the day in and the day out that really matters the most. Um, so not only diet, but the lifestyle, the sleep, the stress, all of the things we talk about. So important. And, you know, just as you say it in the way that you've been describing the farming, it's the same, right? You're taking that same care of those plants 
but we want to be taking care of our body. You're looking at their circadian rhythm. What seasons are they going to grow best in? What soil, what communities of other plants around them are they going to grow best in? And that whole energetic just transfers to humanity, right? To our life and our bodies and our health. And I just think it's amazing that if we can stop and get back in touch with that and how important being in touch with the earth and the energetics of the earth and the food are to our own health, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's mind boggling, but it's beautiful, you know? Yeah. yeah I so agree. Cool. Yeah. So what have I not asked you about that you'd like to share? Because I feel like I could talk to you. I could just sit here and listen to you forever. We're going to share uh, the amazing video about the farm and how the family behind the farm and how all of this got started. We've got a link to that in the show notes. But what would you like to share? Like what just warms your heart when you think about the chef's garden? Yeah, you know, one of the things I would say is one of my main goals at the Chef's Garden is for the farmer to become part of every health and wellness team. And I think that's the farmer is often left out of the equation, right? If you go, unfortunately, stay a night in the hospital, you'll see that there's a disconnect between the food that you're served often in a hospital and healing or, um, you know, the healing potential of food. And so how do we bring the farmer into that equation to be able to grow food in a way that's really nutrient dense and supportive of health and, you know, bring that farmer in so that they're part of the care team. Cause I think food is really foundational to our health. And that's what really lights me up is how do we get children involved? How do we change our healthcare systems? How do we change our schools? Um, you know, there's so much work to be done that it can be overwhelming, but I think just simply starting the conversations, it's been really fun in my role. One of the things I do is reach out to various health systems. I've been working with some schools and how do we really just start to implement small little changes that often begin to snowball as people just experience the change or, you know, just a little bit of like a little, like try this <laughs> and, you know, you try one thing, you experiment and then you're like, oh, actually that's great. How about this? So just starting with one small change can really make a difference. I love that. And I, now you inspired more questions because you touched on children and I, yeah. a lot of times someone will get a diagnosis of cancer. They'll start to reevaluate many things in their life, diet, especially food and begin to implement dietary changes for themselves, but not their family. Yeah. And then they'll say, Oh, my kids don't like it, or I don't want to battle the kids. But essentially if we don't teach our children how to nourish and support their bodies and their body's ability to work optimally, then at some point they may end up where we are as adults trying to figure out how to eat. So yeah. how did you address that? What, what would you say? And I love the, like, I'm, I'm just thinking, as you say, one small change is like put some little microgreens in their sandwich, you know, or something yes, like that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, so I have a four and a seven-year-old and I know it's not easy sometimes to get kids to eat you know, their vegetables, right? But I also think getting them involved is really powerful. So for example, we have a garden at home and I'll have the kids come out and plant with me. And we used to tease that we just opened the back gate into the garden when it was lunchtime for the kids to go out and find lunch. Because oh my God, that's so cool. Go out and pick berries or pick cherry tomatoes or whatever. And they just kind of graze around and eat things. And I love that. I think that's how it should be. But it is kind of getting them to play with their food, to maybe cook with you. So cherry tomatoes on a skewer, super simple, but kids have fun with that, right? And they're fun. They're kind of sweet. They're like small. Um, I also love the idea of like cooking with your kids and bringing them into the process. Also at schools, like school gardens, I think can be really amazing. They're challenging. Every school system my kids have been in, I've helped start the garden at, and I'm not going to say it's the easiest thing in the world, but, you know, I think it's really important for kids to learn from a young age where their food comes from, to have that connection, to have the sensory taste experience with fresh vegetables, and to have a hand in growing it. Um, I used to volunteer for Jamie Oliver's food revolution and I'll never forget there was a grandma there with her grandson and 
I was just doing this activity where I was making salsa with kids and I had all the different ingredients and they had to basically take spoonfuls and create their own salsa in a cup. And she said, oh, he'll never eat that. He doesn't eat vegetables. And I said, okay, well, let's let him try to make it. And so he made it and then he proceeded to eat the entire cup. And wow. so sometimes it's not projecting our own expectations or biases onto the kids. And just let them play with it. Let them try it without being like, oh, they're not going to like that or whatever. Like, let them try it. And, you know, it takes trying things a few times sometimes before you like it or trying it prepared in different ways. Like we all have (laughs) probably scarring childhood experiences with like boiled vegetables, right? Lima beans. Oh, yes, that's me. Gross. My husband talks about boiled Brussels sprouts from his childhood that he couldn't put enough ketchup on. But I think those are the things where you're like, you know, that's probably not the best way to cook a lima bean or Brussels sprout. But what if we roast them? And what if we, you know, do X, Y, Z? That can make it a whole different experience. Or what if we try the carrot raw versus cooked? What if we pair it with this or that? Like, there's a lot of options. So just trying different things. Also kids tend to like smaller vegetables I found. So trying smaller vegetables with them that are like bite size that they can try staying away from super spicy or, you know, super like bitter at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of playing around. There's a great website called solid starts, which I wish I had it when my kids were really little. Um, I didn't know about it until more recently, but they have recommendations for starting kids on whole foods from like the time they start eating through toddlers, like how to cut it, how to prepare it, like wonderful way to get kids really um, growing up with all of those whole foods and not relying on like the processed pouches. I think this is a whole nother conversation, but oftentimes everything's pureed when kids are small and you don't get that jaw development. You're not chewing. You're not really learning like eating skills, right? Um, you're just pretty much sucking down kind of simple, more simple sugars. Um, yeah. So avoiding like the overly sweetened, highly pureed foods and thinking about how you could eat more solid foods uh, with smaller children. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. <laughs> we could, yeah, we could talk about this. on <laughs> And I think too, because, you know, we hear now that, you know, this generation of kids will be the first generation who will not outlive their parents due to their health, due to lifestyle, not infectious diseases, but lifestyle. And so we have to become aware that we can change the direction of that. It's not too late and we can get kids. And it's been my experience. I have four adult children, but through raising my kids and all the children around me that yeah, when they see or they have the experience of helping to plant something, even if you live in an apartment and it's on, on a, in a pot and plant a tomato plant, that they really do because they've been engaged in the process, whether it's cooking or planting, that they're more receptive. And we as cancer survivors, we don't want to see the people we love go through it. And not that anything is 100% guarantee, but if we could teach them from a very early age to take care of themselves in ways that many of us are just learning now, how much better chance will they have? You know, we can change the tide a little bit from what we're seeing happening now. Yes, absolutely. I love it. And so I want you to be able to share your podcast and what people can continue to learn from you about better ways to nourish themselves. And so talk to us a little bit about that. So I host the Farming for Health podcast. You can find it on every podcast platform. And you can also find my writing on farmerjonesfarm.com under blogs. And you can find our pharmacy build your own box feature there based on health conditions under pharmacy and build your own box. I love it. And I'm going to put links to everything in the show notes also, along with the link to the video that you're going to share. And I'm just so honored to have you here. This is such a great conversation. And I think such an important, critical conversation to help you know what, as I, and I work with all breast cancer survivors and I am a breast cancer survivor. And I just think that over the years that I've been managing cancer and, and supporting my body's ability to heal, one of the most important things is just getting in touch with that energy of what, 
on our body, actually like really learning to love our body and nourish it and feed it from a place of love, like heart-centered eating and yeah. realizing that that is not deprivation, that eating nine to 12 cups of beautiful, fresh foods, fresh grown vegetables in a day is anything but deprivation. And it is a treat and it is a pleasure as well. And so learning to get back in touch with our, the, with nature, with the nature of our foods and the nature of our body is just something that is absolutely foundational to our health and to our healing. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise here. Yes, thank you so much. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. And I hope that you go through the links that are in the show notes for this podcast and learn more about Amy. Explore the recipes that she's created for you. Learn more about the chef's garden and try some of this amazing produce. And I encourage you to do that. I should say, I'm not making any money off of this. I'm not getting a kickback from the chef's garden or from Farmer Jones Farm. I just think that this is a valuable, incredibly valuable resource for all of us. And because I eat the vegetables and the produce from the chef's garden, and I know how delicious they are and how much I enjoy the recipes, I think that this is just a, a tremendous tool for you to have and explore. And it's a fun way to learn how to have a more plant-forward diet, which all of us can benefit from. So explore all of those links, enjoy yourself, and come and tell me what you think. And if you try one of the chef's gardens boxes, I'd love to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram as the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach, Facebook, Laura Lummer, the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach, and you can even join my free Facebook group, the Breast Cancer Recovery Group, where we have these kinds of discussions and support each other in everything we can do to create lives that are better than before breast cancer. And then there's the ultimate way to help share your insights and allow me to share more of my insights with you. And that's joining me in the Better Than Before Breast Cancer Life Coaching Membership. You can find all the details about that on my website, thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com forward slash life coaching, or just go to coaching and programs. All right. Enjoy yourself. Explore some of these links. I cannot wait to hear back from you and I'll talk to you again soon. Than before, your heart is full and wanting more. Your future's at the door. Give it all you got, no hesitating. You've been waiting all your life. This is your moment.